You are listening to a message from Parkway Church in Corona. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you. If you want to know more information about Parkway Church, or if you like what you hear, why don't you come join us here on a Sunday at 10 a.m. right here in Corona. Or you can visit our website, parkway-church.com. Glad that you're here. So who's ready to hear the word of the Lord and the challenge of God this morning? Amen? We've been in a series on prayer, and today we're talking about specific prayer, the power of specific prayer. And we're going to relate it to Father's Day a little bit. But again, as always, it's, it's for all of us. Luke 11, 1 says, one day when Jesus was praying in a certain place. Sorry, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught us to pray. And Jesus went on to give the model and the formula of uh, the Lord's Prayer. Here's what's interesting about that. Uh, prayer was huge part of everyday Jewish life. They prayed in the morning, they prayed in the evening, they prayed in the afternoon. Uh, the Pharisees prayed. John taught his disciples to prayer. But Jesus' disciples came and asked him, Lord, teach us the art of prayer. And I've never noticed the lead into the question before, but the lead in, lead in says one day Jesus was praying. And I get this picture of Jesus is doing what he so often did. He's praying. He's calling out to the Father. He's drawing on the strength of the Holy Spirit. And his disciples are kind of waiting and they're waiting. And the minute Jesus says, and in the name of the Father, and probably took off his prayer shawl and stood up, one of the disciples, who's the spokesman for the rest, comes to him and says, Lord, you've got to teach us to pray. Just like you pray. Teach us to pray. And I think the reason for that is they asked because Jesus modeled that for them. He lived a life of power and anointing, love and grace. He had a fearless faith, and it all came out of the reality that he prayed. Jesus said in John 5.19, and this is our key verse, John 5.19, Jesus said, I can do nothing of myself. I was really gripped by this this week. Jesus, the Son of God, said, I can do nothing of myself. And I really had to ask myself the question, do I live and draw on the resources of the Holy Spirit? And do I live and pray in such a way that I can make the statement, I don't do anything of myself? Because friends, you know what? I don't have any greater of a provision to get it done on my own than Jesus ever did. And Jesus said, I can do nothing. His followers eventually connect the dots and they said, if Jesus can do nothing of himself, and yet we see him heal the sick, raise the dead, fearlessly challenge the systems and oppressive religion and powers of their time, he calms the storm and he walks on water, and yet he tells us he can do nothing of himself. And because he modeled it for them, they started to realize that his life was sourced in prayer. And Jesus, the man, was completely submitted, empowered by the Spirit of God in the direction of the Father, and the disciples came to realize this. This is Father's Day. And men, as men, as fathers, as people in the workplace, people in our communities, people uh, in our homes, we are influencers. The greatest gift that God has given me for ministry isn't the ability to speak or preach or pray. It's the influence that my life can have on others and the influence that your life can have. And it's when, when we become fathers, we automatically influence people. We influence our children. And I believe it's God's intention for men to lead uh, 
the way in positive and purposely influencing the people he's put in our lives. And I think one of the default settings we have is men. Now hear me out and tell me if this is true or not. But one of the default settings we have as men is to say this. I've got this. Men have an aversion to maps, to directions, to listening to instructions, and to asking for help. Come on, is that true? Why? Because I've got this. You don't know how many Ikea things I've put together and I've had to take it up. I said, it looks good. And then all of a sudden I'm going, ah, those parts don't mean anything. Then I go to open the drawer and it doesn't open. And I realize I don't got this. (laughs) Men have an aversion sometimes to asking for help. I don't know if it's because we were taught uh, to be self-sufficient. I don't know if it's because it's a sign of weakness to... To ask for help, I don't know, or say I can't, or can someone please help me? But men, Jesus is our model. I'll say that again. Jesus is our model. He came to show the Heavenly Father to us and reveal God's will. And Jesus' life was governed by this basic principle. I can do nothing of myself. Nothing. I want all the men and all the ladies to say that with me because this is important. Say that with me. Nothing. Nothing. What does nothing mean? Say it again. It means nothing. I can do nothing of myself. He lived a life of total dependence on the Holy Spirit's presence and power and on the leading of the Father. And as parents and providers, we're conditioned to be strong, to have the answers, to make it work, to make a way. Our children look to us for everything. I can remember as a little kid, we lived in a town called Rodney, Ontario, and there was probably nothing better to do than argue uh, because there was really nothing there. But I can remember... uh, I can remember having arguments with my friends. You know, we'd get to pushing and shoving, and it would always end with this. Yeah, well, I'm going home, and I want you to know my dad could take your dad, right? Anyone ever said that? My dad could beat up your dad? My mom was always a better cook than their mom, and my mom was always smarter than their mom. And the thing is, my dad's only about 5'9", so it probably wasn't true. But at the time, uh, it seemed true to me. Why? Because children see their parents as invincible, There comes a point when we realize it's not true, but our children see us as invincible and as dads and as parents sometimes we're conditioned to to feeling like these people depend on us and we can feel that pressure to be strong. And I think in our current society, our children continue to look at us to be strong and to help them to in a stage that's long beyond where we continued with our parents. Come on, let's be honest. And uh, of all the things my parents passed on to me, Here's a few things that stand out. Number one, and and these are all true, that God's word is never to be compromised. Number two, worship is always the first and best response to adversity. I've already said that this morning. But number three, prayer is what leads every decision in every situation. It's not a fallback or last resource. It always comes first. If we ever went to my parents and said, you know, What about this? What about that? They'd say, let's pray about it. My parents lived like that. If we ever wanted to make a decision that my parents knew probably didn't line up biblically or was going to be harmful, they'd say, what does the Bible say about that, son? And what does God say about it? And if you don't know, you need to read the Bible, and then you need to pray about it. Why? Because they knew that we could do nothing in and of ourselves. To to not pray is to tell the Lord, I have this. Even if we're too busy, you know, the thing we hear all the time is, well, I'm just too busy. Life's too busy. Listen, to not pray is to tell the Lord I have this. And I believe his response to us would be the same response he had to the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3. 
That church said, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And the Lord goes on. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and self to put on your eyes so you can see. And so what was Jesus saying there? He was saying, you think that you've acquired everything you need, but I see it very differently. I see that you can do nothing without me. Prayer was a necessity to the life of Jesus. And as, as a man, prayer was the means of communion with God the Father and a means of resourcing and bringing the power of God to bear on the humanity of Jesus moment by moment. And we know this is true because Acts 2.22 tells, uh, tells us that God performed miracles through Jesus. And every provision that Jesus had in his life as a man, we have the same provisions for our lives. And we see modeled in his life that the busier life got, the greater the demands on his time, his person, and his power. He would withdraw to pray. In uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. I learned very early on as a pastor that if one person comes to me and they have a beef, the beef is always them and everyone, and you find out that everyone's usually their spouse and maybe one of their friends. And they did the same thing to Jesus here. Jesus, everyone is looking for you, right? And this is what Jesus said. Let's go somewhere else. It's interesting that in the midst of mounting demands, when people were clamoring for Jesus' attention and everybody had something they wanted from Jesus, he knew that he needed to hear from his heavenly father before he heard the demands of others. He needed the Spirit's power in order to release God's blessings and God's resources. Because it's true, when I work, I work. But when I pray and obey, God works. And so Jesus sought God for direction before he chose his disciples. The Bible says he went up to a mountain and he prayed all night. And I'm sure he didn't pray some general prayer. Oh God, bless me in this decision, amen. And he went to sleep and he woke up the next morning and he said, well, I've asked for God's blessings. So eeny, meeny, miny, mo, okay, you. Eeny, meeny, you. Rock, paper, scissors. He didn't do that. I'm sure that he prayed through the names and the people that were in his life and he sought God over each one. And when he picked the 12, he picked it perfectly, exactly who he knew God had set aside for him. Why? Because it's impossible to pray in something not to change. So why not pray specifically and see specific changes aligning with the will of God? Specific prayer. I'm just going to throw this in. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of God's ever-present willingness. Now, I'm not going to preach the full message I have. Did you all get the paper this morning when you came in, at least one per family? Okay? That has on it kind of the closing points on some of the... Some of the ways that to pray specifically uh, helps us. But I just want to say this. Do you know that the devil, I'll say this to the dads and the moms, the devil has a specific plan and agenda for your family. The devil's not kind of random. The devil doesn't say, well, the Bible tells us when Jesus was tempted in the desert, the devil, for 40 days, the devil tempted him. And then we read the last four temptations. Jesus overcame every single one by saying, it is written. So he depended on the word of God. <coughs> but 
But this is what happened. The Bible says the devil left him until an opportune time came. So in other words, the devil says, well, I didn't get him this time. So what I'm going to do is study the life of Jesus, study his patterns, and then I'm going to come at him for an opportune time. When, (coughs) sorry, right before Cain killed Abel, the Lord spoke to Cain and he says, Cain, sin is crouching at the door looking to devour you. It's waiting outside, waiting for you, waiting for an opportunity to devour you. So the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and authorities, principalities, powers, and authorities. So think about this. We're not wrestling as parents, as people. We're not making decisions saying, I've got this because what we see on this realm is all that there is. No, the Bible says that we, we're actually wrestling. We're in war against principalities and powers of darkness. But think about how the Bible states that. The Bible is telling us that there is, there is rank and there is order to what the enemy wants to accomplish. Do you understand that? It doesn't just say we're wrestling against these really, really bad creatures called demons and Satan. No, it says principalities, powers, and authorities. Those are rank. So there is a very specific order that the enemy has. There's a very specific plan. There's a very specific agenda. He studies us. He watches us. And I say all of that just to say this. If the devil has a plan, an agenda, and a strategy for your family, for your marriage, for your community, for your workplace, for your life, if he has a specific way that he wants to come against you, then the only thing that counters that is for us to get the mind of God and pray specifically against that. Prayers as parents, waking up in the morning and saying, oh God, bless my children today in Jesus' name, amen. I don't mean this hard, but I mean it honestly. It's not enough. Because while you're saying, God bless my children, I'm in too much of a hurry and I got to hit Tim Hortons before it it gets too busy. So bless my kids, Jesus. I want to tell you something. The devil's not just, the devil has a specific plan for your kids, and we need to pray specifically over their lives. Specifically. Think about when, uh, have you ever read Job, the book of Job? And it says when when the angels were presenting themselves before the throne of God, it says Satan came and presented himself before God. Satan, who's under authority, stood before God, and God says to Satan, see Job, look at how right, he's the most righteous man on earth. And Satan starts to very specifically put a specific agenda. I want you to think about this. Read it, Job chapter one. Satan starts to make requests of God specifically over the life of Job. Satan says, well, of course he's blessed, God. Of course he's righteous because you've hedged him in. You've put a hedge of protection around him and you've blessed him, God. And so Satan basically starts asking God, this is what I want to do to Job to prove that he's not who you think he is. And God restricts what the devil can do. But the devil specifically asks God what he can do. Do you remember when, do you remember when uh, right before his betrayal, And his crucifixion, Peter's bragging, saying, hey, Jesus, guess what? If everybody else leaves you, I will stand. And Jesus makes a statement. Peter, Satan has asked to sift you. Who did he ask? God. He has asked to sift you. But I have prayed that you will be strong. And that when you return to the faith, you'll be able to restore your your brothers. 
Think about that for a minute. The devil had a specific prayer. God, I want to sift Peter. I want to come against Peter. When he falls, when he denies Jesus, I want him. And Jesus specifically prayed and said, Father, I know the specific uh, request Satan has had to sift Peter, but I'm praying to counter that. So friends, we have to pray specifically. We have to make prayer part of our lives and make time to pray specifically because the devil has a specific agenda for our lives, for our marriage, for our family, for our finances. And so I believe the Lord would challenge us to pray more concisely. Now, this isn't to put us in fear, friends. Uh, I told you I pray almost daily over my children what was prophecy, what was said about Jesus, that he grew in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God, in favor with people. And out of that prayer, I pray very specifically for my children, for their wisdom, for spiritual revelation, for them to build their lives in God's word. Uh, I pray for their body, for their health, for their protection. I pray that they'd live in a way that God can favor their lives because they're living in obedience to God's word and that the plans of the enemy would come to nothing, but the favor of God would override that and then they have favor with people. God would open and close the doors in their lives that he wants. So even based on that, there's specific prayers. And so number one, and I'm going to go through these really quick because you have them, but number one, prayer, prayer clarifies our minds. 1 Corinthians 14, 15 says, What will I do? I'll pray in the Spirit, but I will pray also with my understanding. We've already given some examples of that. When I was a kid, God blessed the people in prayer meeting that would pray for all the missionaries in all the countries in all the world. In Jesus' name, amen. And even as a kid, I'd kind of go, boy, that's kind of stretching it, isn't it? Like, there's a lot of countries, a lot of dialects, and a lot of missionaries. I think rather than do that, get... Find out who our missionaries are and pray, pray for the three of them once a week. That's better than praying for all the missionaries in the world every day, right? Praying specifically clarifies our minds. It clarifies uh, and allows us to uh, pray into things and engage with God. Secondly, praying specifically helps us define the need. Again, I got lots of examples for that, but let me just give you a real quick example. A couple of weeks ago, I was praying for the church finances, and I was falling back into the non-specific prayers. Oh, God, bless the finances. And I felt the Lord say, how do you want me to bless them, Jay? Seriously, how do you want me to bless them? What, what, what have I already said in my word? So I started to pray specifically. I said, well, Lord, I just put the stamp on the tithe check that we as a church tithe every week. And your word says that when we tithe, you will rebuke the devourer on our behalf. So Lord, in Jesus' name, I release you to, re- to rebuke Satan and the devouring. I pray for wisdom that we would make the right decisions. I pray, Lord God, that any spirit of withholding uh, that, that, that the enemy might use, I just pray, Lord Jesus, that things wouldn't even break in our church. I should have prayed a little harder, but that things won't break in our church because you will rebuke the devourer on our behalf because we tithe. And Lord, I also mailed today the missions offering and the $1,500 that we gave over and above everything to Adrian and Sharon Thomas in Dominican Republic. And your word says that it's those kind of sacrificial offerings that bring in the blessing. So God, open up the window of heaven and pour in financial blessing, spiritual blessing, salvation, bring in uh, healing, bring in uh, 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 
uh, people being set free. Lord, whatever an open heaven means, they're open now because we've given in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you know that praying that way specifically uh, allows God to answer specifically more than, oh, God, bless our finances? And we can pray that way for people to be saved. We're saying, God, save my kids. Okay. What? What do you want me to do? What needs to be done? And we can start to pray. God, the seed that's in their life, I water it in Jesus' name. Lord, the truth that's in them, I pray that it would come to their remembrance. Lord, I just pray, Jesus, that the things they're living for right now would become empty. And I don't know what that means, but I just release you, Lord, to let them be like that prodigal son that says, man, it was so much better in my father's house because I don't want to live for this stuff anymore. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that, that as the enemy has a specific plan for their lives, I loose that from them and I bind the will and the agenda of the Holy Ghost to their life today. I pray, see? That's so much more powerful than praying, oh, God, save them. Okay? Praying specifically emphasizes our dependency on God for all the details of our lives. Praying specific prayers makes us more alert to answers. Praying specifically increases my faith. Praying specifically allows God to speak to me specifically. When we pray specifically and we start the partnership of intercession with God and we pray specifically, it allows God to start to speak back to us specifically. God, as a parent, I need wisdom for my children. Amen. And God's saying, where, where do we want to start? God, I need the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I'm going to need patience today. I'm going to need wisdom and Lord, in my children's life, I pray this, I pray that, I pray that. And I pray you'd give me the courage to be able to give them what they need today, not what they want. And I pray you'd help me to know the difference. And Lord, you know, like pray specifically, friends. I believe sometimes the reason we don't see answers is because we're not praying specific enough. Paul Yonggi Cho, pastor, the founding pastor of the largest church in the world, 750,000 members, uh, Pentecostal church in Seoul, Korea. Paul Youngie Cho talked about how he prayed for years, uh, for about a year for a bike. Uh, back in the, I think it was the 50s or early 60s, he started to pray for a bike because he said, Lord, if I had a bike, I could go visit one parishioner a day. This is when he only had a few hundred. Uh, one parishioner a day on my bike. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And he says, Lord, I also want a desk so I can write my sermons on a desk rather than write on the floor. And he says, Lord, I want a chair for that desk. And he prayed for a year. Finally, he came before the Lord one day, and he says, Lord, are these selfish requests? I don't understand. I felt like you put this burden on my heart to pray for a bike, a desk, and a chair. And the Lord said to him, you didn't pray specific enough. And Paul says, I asked for a bike, a desk, and a chair. And the Lord says, but you didn't ask what kind of chair, what kind of desk, and what kind of bike. So Paul Yonggi Cho goes, I told the Lord, I want that bike. And it was a $40 bike, which... Back in those days, it was the most expensive bike on the market. It was an American bike, and it was, it was way beyond his means. So he says, well, Lord, if, if, you're ask, if you're telling me to ask, I want that bike. Because I think he says it had springs in it for the roads. It wouldn't hurt his behind too much. It was just a good bike. And then he says, I want a nice big oak desk so that when I put the word and my paper down on the desk, I can write that word behind it. And I want one of those chairs, he says, that slides on wheels so that when I go make my tea, I don't even need to stand up. I can just slide across to the kitchen. Seriously. Within three weeks, he had all three. Within three weeks, that's his testimony. 
And he says, I really felt like the Lord had put it on my heart. And then the Lord said later, my son, you just need to ask me specifically. So I challenge you in that today. So we're going to put this into action. And I know this isn't going to be for everybody. And I know not everybody's going to be able to do this. It doesn't mean you haven't heard the word. It doesn't mean you're not going to apply the word to your life. I understand that. One of the things the Lord put on my heart, since January, we've been praying for souls again, just saying, Lord, give us souls. The Lord spoke to me on this principle and said, how many? And how many of you know that uh, we have to partner with the answer? Come on, we have to partner with the answer sometimes. So we are actually uh, putting things in place in the fall, and we are now how we can be more, what's the word, uh, like specific, more intentional. Thank you so much for listening. Again, we hope this message blessed and encouraged you. If you would like more information about what we are as a church and as a community, you can visit our website, parkway-church.com.